0: Good morning and welcome to uh, today's HR forum, which is on age discrimination, a subject which is uh, close to my heart as the oldest member of the employment team here. Uh, Presenting with me on the subject is uh, Virginia Allen, who represents the more youthful end of the spectrum. Uh, It's easy to forget that um, only five years ago there wasn't really any protection in relation to age discrimination, so employers could quite happily advertise for Uh, Young workers, they could put age limits um, in their job adverts and they could certainly retire people at age 65 without any concerns or following any process. Contrast that with today, where age discrimination is regularly in the headlines and the number of claims is going up at a rapid rate. Uh, Probably the, the final piece in the age discrimination jigsaw is the removal of the default retirement age Um, And that's really what we're going to focus on today. Um, So what we're going to look at is is some of the um, issues that have made the headlines recently, Um, the increase in tribunal claims, um, the changes that are happening in April, including some of the transitional provisions, and then Virginia is going to look in more detail at how retirement's going to be justified post-April 2011. And then before the coffee break, I'll finish up um, with a look at some of the... um, other more recent cases not dealing with retirement. So, looking at some of the headlines first, I guess the um, the highest profile case recently has been um, the uh, tribunal claim brought by Miriam O'Reilly against the BBC when she was dismissed um, from the Countryfile programme. That was in January 2011. Um, it was a fairly high profile claim. It was in tribunal for 12 days. Um, and some fairly embarrassing evidence came out of of that for the BBC. She said that one of the directors of the programme had said to her that she um, should be careful with her wrinkles um, with the advent of high-definition TV and that he also offered her a can of black hair dye. Following on from that, there were press reports in February 2011 um, about age discrimination affecting women in other sectors There was also a report again in February um, in the Daily Telegraph about the right of elderly patients to sue the NHS if they refuse treatment. Um, And I read a piece um, just in the past few days about a vicar who is apparently suing the church for age discrimination so um, age discrimination laws really are getting everywhere. Um, Turning to something a bit more tangible, uh, The the number of claims, age discrimination claims, is rising steadily from um, around 2,900 in 2007 to 2008 to 5,200 for the last year for which we have figures. That's 2009 to 10. So age discrimination claims are already far more common than sexual orientation and religion and belief claims and are comparable in number with race discrimination claims. Uh, And I'm sure we're going to see more increases following the changes that are coming into force next month. As I mentioned, the the last piece in the age discrimination jigsaw is the removal of the um, default retirement age from the 6th of April. Employers expressed various concerns about this in the consultation process. Um, They raised concerns that um, they were going to have to do a lot more capability dismissals and that there were going to be more claims and that the time frame for getting used to these new ideas was was too short. They also suggested a statutory code would be helpful. But unfortunately for employers, all these suggestions have been ignored. So what have we got? Well, from the 6th of April 2011, the default retirement age is going to be removed. So retirement is no longer going to be an automatically fair reason for dismissal. It may be possible to um, retire someone um, and rely on some of the substantial reason justification, but only if the retirement age is objectively justified. Uh, In a similar vein, There's no longer going to be a right to refuse employment to those aged um, 64 and a half. No automatic right. Though if an organisation does have um, a normal retirement age that can be objectively justified, that might provide a reason for refusing employment uh, to someone within six months of that normal retirement age. Uh, There is going to be... Um, a carve-out for group risk-insured benefits such as life cover and PHI, which means that organisations will be able to withdraw those benefits from the over-65s. Similarly, it is going to be possible to retain a normal pensionable age in pension schemes, um, but there aren't going to be any special rules for share schemes. Um, And I mention share schemes because they quite often have provisions that say, um, if you retire, um, you're treated as a good leaver and therefore keep all your, your shares um, and those sorts of rules may need to be revisited, may no longer work, um, following the, the uh, changes that are coming into force next month. There is still a little bit of time um, if you want to retire people under the old rules, just under a month. The last date on which notification of um, impending retirement can be given is on the 5th of April, 2011. But that's subject to the uh, caveat that the employee must have obtained the age of 65 by 30th of September. 2011, and um, an employee can make their usual request to continue working, um, but the last date by which an employee can make that request is the 5th of January 2012. In practical terms, the maximum extension that an employee would want to give will be six months, because if it's an extension of longer than that were given, um, uh, that, that would mean uh, that it would no longer be possible to retire the employee under the old rules and it would be necessary to objectively justify the new retirement date. Um, so in practice, the last date at which we're going to be seeing employees retiring under the um, the old rules is probably going to be um, the 5th of October 2012. I say probably because there's a bit of dispute between employers, um, employment lawyers as to whether the correct date is the 3rd or the 4th or the 5th of October 2012. Um, but the key date, to bear in mind, is the last notification requirement um, must be given by the 5th of April 2011. So what is the position going to be after April 2011? Well, um, if you want to retire someone after that date, um, you won't have an automatic right to force retirement. You'll need to be able to justify the retirement age that you've got um, and you'll need to follow a fair process. Uh, justifying. The retirement age you, you've got is probably going to involve some sort of audit process across your staff groups to identify if you need a normal retirement age at all for those staff groups, and if so, um, why, and what deciding what age that normal retirement age is going to be, um, and again, thinking why um, it, it needs to be that particular age. In terms of what a fair process is, well, it's difficult to say at the moment because this isn't an issue that. that the courts have uh, considered yet and the legislation doesn't give guidance on it, Um, my view is it's probably going to involve something akin to the existing retirement process, so giving employees plenty of warning of their impending retirement, um, and something a bit like a redundancy process, whereby there will be some kind of consultation process with the employee and some kind of consideration of alternatives to redundancy. But as I say, we'll have to see what guidance comes from the courts. I'm going to hand over now to Virginia, um, who's going to look in more detail at at how employers should go about justifying retirement dismissals after the 5th of April, uh, 2011.
1: So, you'll all be asking yourselves the question of how to deal with retirements post-October 2011. There is some limited guidance available to us on this. Firstly, the UK government has published a response to the consultation which states, in the limited cases where retirements are an essential part of succession planning, or necessary for health and safety reasons, it will remain open to the employer to retain a retirement age, if this can be objectively justified. ACAS has also published some guidance which states, employers will need to ensure that the retirement age meets a legitimate aim, for instance, workforce planning, or the health and safety of individual employees. Now it's clear from this guidance that it's only going to be in limited circumstances that employers can justify retiring employees post april 2011 and the only two reasons that have been given are succession or workforce planning or health and safety reasons now for most of the organizations represented in the room today it's only going to be succession workforce planning that is actually relevant but unhelpfully the government guidance goes on to say it is not the case that older people in work block jobs for younger people so what this means is it's not going to be enough to simply say that retirement dismissals are carried out for the purposes of creating more room at the top for younger employees you're going to have to be able to show more than that actually the acas guidance focuses very much on performance managing all staff effectively, regardless of their age. And the purpose of, of this guidance seems to be very much to allay concerns raised by employees during the consultation process that there would be issues with older workers not performing properly. The conclusion we can draw from this is that performance related reasons are not going to be good enough to justify retirement. The ACAS guidance also encourages employers to ask their employees about their short and term, long term plans for the future. And again, this seems to be an attempt to allay concerns raised by employers that it would be difficult to plan their workforce if they're not able to carry out retirements. However, the ACAS guidance makes it clear that these questions should be asked of all employees, perhaps during the annual appraisal process, and certainly that older workers should not be singled out in this regard. So that's what the government guidance and the ACAS guidance tells us. What lessons can we learn from the existing case law on retirement? Well, there's been a body of European law which... Uh, has generally been fairly accepting of retirement dismissals. Um, The UK approach has been less accepting, although there's still been a a more generous approach adopted towards employers than that which is suggested by the guidance that I've just talked about. So turning first to the European case law, the first case uh, which I'm going to talk about is that of Rosenblatt, which was referred to the ECJ by Germany in uh, the second half of last year. Now, this case involved a claimant working as a cleaner, and she had been working at the same army barracks for 39 years, working 10 hours a week and earning around €300 a month. When she reached the age of 65, she was forced to retire in accordance with the terms of a collective agreement. Now, at this stage, she was entitled to a state pension, but she wasn't very happy because this was less than her earnings that she had received during her cleaning job so she brought an age discrimination claim and the ecj when considering this claim accepted that the aims of facilitating employment for young people planning recruitment and allowing good management of a firm's personnel in a balanced manner according to age were legitimate and that was despite reservations being raised by the referring national court that in fact such automatic terminations had been widespread in Germany for a number of years without there being any impact on the employment situation there. Secondly, the Referring Court pointed out that in fact there was no evidence of any risk of an ageing workforce within the commercial cleaning sector. Nevertheless, the ECJ wasn't very interested in these arguments um, and they also didn't seem to take Uh, any interest in why 65 was the appropriate cut-off age as opposed to some other age and what we can see here is a real contrast with the views being expressed in the UK consultation document uh, where it's made clear that simply retiring people for the purposes of creating opportunities for younger people is not going to be good enough to justify a policy. Now the second case on retirement which was considered by the ECJ last year was that of Georgiev and this case related to Bulgarian university professors. Now Bulgarian law provides for compulsory retirement of professors at the age of 65 although it states that professors can then undertake up to three one year fixed term contracts. Now the claimant was uh, engaged on a number of such contracts and subsequently retired at the age of 68. And the ECJ determined that the delivery of quality teaching and the allocation of posts between the generations were both potential legitimate aims. And this was despite the arguments raised by the claimant that, in fact, the average age of a university professor in Bulgaria is 58. And that there are not more than a thousand university professors because generally young people are not interested in a career as a university professor. The ECJ did, however, go on to say that it would be for the national court to determine whether those aims were in fact being pursued and whether the means adopted to achieve those aims was appropriate and necessary. Again, we're seeing a real contrast in this case with the approach taken in the UK consultation document. In particular, the reference to the delivery of quality teaching is tainted by the assumption that older professors are not going to be so able to provide quality teaching. And certainly the UK consultation document suggests that that wouldn't be a legitimate aim in the UK context. Turning now to the case law in the UK, the leading authority is Selden and Clarkson-Wright and Jakes, which is a court of appeal decision heard last year. Now, the case concerned a claimant who was a partner in a law firm and partners are not subject to the default retirement age, but the partnership deed here provided for retirement at the age of 65. Now the claimant having signed up to this partnership deed was subsequently retired at the age of 65 and brought an age discrimination claim. The Employment Tribunal, upheld by both the EAT and the Court of Appeal, identified three legitimate aims being pursued by this retirement policy. Firstly, the creation of opportunities to make partner. Secondly, the facilitation of workforce planning and thirdly, congeniality. And what was meant by this concept of congeniality was essentially the avoidance of any need to performance manage older workers. The EAT did, however, say that the tribunal had failed to consider whether the, the congeniality argument was proportionate, i.e. whether this need to avoid performance managing older workers partners could be met through some less discriminatory means and they therefore asked for a new employment tribunal to consider that issue afresh however that didn't actually happen because the case was appealed to the court of appeal and it's now on appeal to the supreme court so it remains to be seen what they will make of this case i think in any case it's important to treat this decision with a little bit of caution Firstly, because the courts placed some emphasis on the relevance of the fact that the partners had consented to the policy of retiring them at 65. Clearly, in an employment context, the issue of consent is unlikely to be relevant. The other point to make is that the Court of Appeal placed much emphasis on the fact that the default retirement age chosen by the government was 65, and they felt that that meant that there was therefore no need for the respondent in this case to explain why they chosen 65 as the appropriate age as opposed to 66 or, or any other age. Clearly, if you're in the position of trying to justify retirement dismissals post-April 2011, that isn't going to be a relevant factor either. So the next question is, in light of everything that I've just said, how do you actually cope with the issue of retirement from April onwards? Well the starting point is that it's going to be safer not to retain a retirement age at all and it's worth bearing in mind that if you do retain a retirement age and you are subject to an age discrimination claim which you lose it could be very expensive and I say that because claimants are likely to be seeking compensation for the rest of their lives And it may well be that compensation is awarded on that basis, although it would obviously have to be discounted to allow for contingencies, including in particular the obvious possibility that the individual may wish to give up work at some point. Furthermore, your older workers are likely to be on higher salaries, which again will push up the cost of compensating for such age discrimination claims. If, despite all of that you still want to retain a retirement age you're going to need to start by documenting the reasons for that and it's going to be very important that you not only provide reasons but also evidence to justify those reasons so for example if you were going to rely on the aim of workforce planning you might need to do that by reference to uh, the demographics of your particular workplace You would also need to actively consider whether there are less discriminatory alternatives which would achieve the same aim. Once you've done all of that it's worth thinking about whether you want to consult your employees to try and get their buy-in to the policy and in any case you'll need to review your employment contracts to check that they are up to date. Now lastly I wanted to talk about the example of Baker and Nats. Now this is a case at the employment tribunal which I was involved with in representing the claimants on a pro bono basis. Now Nats is the National Air Traffic Control Service and in this case they were having to justify their recruitment policy of not taking on anybody over the age of 35 for trainee air traffic control jobs. Now Nats were perfectly aware that this could cause them problems And they had therefore gone to some trouble in actually justifying their policy in particular they had sought an expert on cognitive skills and cognitive decline and asked her to prepare a report on how age interacts with declining cognitive skills and this expert did this she prepared a document which essentially said that as you get older your cognitive abilities deteriorate and therefore older people make less good air traffic controllers than younger people. So far, so good. However, when we got to the Employment Tribunal, it was clear that the paper trail showed that Nats had decided from the outset that they were going to retain this recruitment policy, and had then sought to gather together evidence in order to justify it. And in particular, they had at no point actively considered whether they could do away with the retirement policy and whether there was excuse me the recruitment policy or whether there was some less discriminatory way of achieving the aims that they were pursuing. For example, they could be instead regularly assessing the competence of their air traffic controllers. And in fact, they were already doing that anyway because they were obliged as a matter of law to do so. So because of all that they lost the case. And this case is really an excellent illustration of how if you do wish to retain a retirement age post-April, you need to think extremely carefully about how you're going to justify it.
0: I just wanted to talk about um, three other age discrimination cases not dealing directly with the issue of retirement. There have been a lot of um, reported cases on age discrimination recently uh, the, th- the three I've picked out, um, I think, give quite an interesting indication of of how the courts are approaching age discrimination, um, and the theme that seems to emerge from those cases is that the courts are more willing to recognise sort of wider social or policy aims as a justification for age discrimination than perhaps they are in other forms of discrimination. Um, the first example of that is um, the case of Woodcock against Um, Cumbria Primary Care Trust. Uh, Mr Woodcock lost his role after a merger of a number of primary care trusts um, and he was subsequently dismissed um, and the dismissal was done in an accelerated way um, so he could be dismissed before he reached age 50. The reason that was done was because he would have become entitled to an enhanced pension at the age of 50, at a cost of somewhere between £500,000 and a million pounds to the trust and therefore to the taxpayer. He said that his accelerated dismissal amounted to age discrimination. Um, the um, EAT disagreed with that and said no, that there was a legitimate aim um, here being pursued by the trust. Firstly to avoid the cost to the taxpayer and secondly to avoid um, Mr Woodcock getting an unjustified um, windfall payment and I think the EAT was also influenced by the fact that um, the trust had gone to quite a lot of effort before dismissing him to find alternative employment and he'd received a £230,000 redundancy payment Um, but it's interesting to see that they were prepared to taking into account these these wider considerations, including the cost of the taxpayer and allowing um, the employer's actions. In a similar vein, the case of Craft Foods against uh, Hasty um, concerned a voluntary redundancy scheme, which paid out three and a half weeks' pay per year of service, but that scheme was capped at the amount the individual would have earned if they had worked up until retirement. So in the case of uh, Mr. Hasty, um, his redundancy payment was calculated, but then reduced by around thirteen and a half thousand pounds um, to that cap, um, and he said that was age discrimination because the cap would clearly disproportionately affect older employees. But again, the EAT said no, that there was a legitimate aim here, um, preventing employees from getting an unwarranted windfall. Um, it's interesting, an interesting question to decide how that that case would be dealt with um, after April when there will be no default retirement age and you can imagine at that stage there might well have been a different result Um, but at the moment we we can see the same message coming through that um, the courts are allowing um, employers uh, to pursue um, other policy aims and using that as a defence to age discrimination claims. Um, the third case involved um, an individual called Homer against the West Yorkshire Police. Um, Homer couldn't qualify uh, for the top pay scale applicable to his, his type of job because he, had, uh, because he didn't have a law degree. Um, he had the opportunity to do a law degree but he wouldn't have finished it until um, after the age of 65 and he therefore said that the requirement to hold a law degree amounted to um, age discrimination. The Court of Appeal, in a slightly strange reasoning, said he wasn't um, subjected to a detriment or less favourable treatment because of his age but because of his proximity to retirement. Um, You might think, as I did, that that's a bit of a distinction without a difference. Um, but behind that reasoning what seems to, to come out um, again is the recognition that um, it's legitimate for employers to impose um, other requirements, other considerations such as the requirement to hold a law degree in order to um, qualify for the top pay scale in this case um, in defence um, and use that as a defence to age discrimination claims so again there is this sort of idea that um, wider social and policy aims are are being used as defence to um, age claims. What's going to be interesting is to see if that same logic um, and thought process is is applied in defending um, retirement dismissal claims. Um, We'll just have to see how that pans out.